Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What are electronic voice phenomena? Are they really voices in the, of the dead? What the hey is visual psychophysics? Hey there, and welcome to the... Uh, wow, we don't have a show number. Oh, we do. It's no, number it's 708. Oh, it's, yeah, there we go. 708. I Sorry should be, I should be keeping track of this. I, yeah, I did I this part of the script. I don't forgive you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> once again, welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 Radio. I'm Ben, and those phenomenal questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and father... Paul, let me bring you a new guest today on a new subject who shall be with us shortly. You know, you know how traffic is around here. Uh, yes, I think he's coming in from New Hampshire, which we really appreciate. We love in-studio guests. Now, it's really not entirely accurate to say that he's a new guest because he was on the show last week as part of our live panel from the Exeter UFO Festival. That was a terrific event. The broadcast went off very well. Uh, Josh uh, Ducharme, our executive producer, drove up uh, in one of the WON official vehicles, parked it in front of Town Hall there at Exeter, and we had a uh, wonderful uh, panel discussion with a, a live audience of over 100 people, uh, Richard Dolan, Peter Robbins, uh, Kathy Marden, Denise Stoner, many, many luminaries, including Andy Kitt, uh, in the field of UFOs and consciousness and the paranormal in general, Travis Walton uh, of Fire in the Sky fame was there, uh, and of course, Ben, uh, n- not having to be the producer that day, thanks to Josh, was able to participate as well, so I yes, thought that was... Josh a- is indeed a godsend. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We love him. Uh, okay, so let me introduce our guest who is, uh, was only a few miles away when he called in a minute ago. Uh, Andrew J. Kitt is director of the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratum, New Hampshire, an information and outreach center devoted to fringe topics, a doctoral candidate in visual psychophysics at the University of New Hampshire, and he has been deeply involved in parapsychology, UFO research, and other out-there topics for the better part of a decade, uh, along with the uh, with managing the KRI Center, and KRI, as I understand it, can, stands for KIT Research Initiative, and he teaches psychology at the university level when he he, uh, while he completes his doctoral dissertation. He's the author of a book on the topic of parapsychology. We'll have to ask him about that because I don't know the name of the book. Uh, and he's also authored hundreds of newspaper, magazine, and journal articles on various subjects. So we will welcome him when he arrives. Uh, in the meantime, let's, um, I suppose, begin our plan B just until uh, Andy comes. Uh, we were going through, at one point, our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, and I thought today, uh, if we did have the time, we would look at some of the um, the really odd and strange monsters that you never heard of, uh, because I, we, at least I, I never heard of them, Ben, I don't know, uh, when it came to some of these uh, creatures like the... Um, Mongolian death worm. The Mongolian death worm. Well, I had heard of that, but the the Mongolian death worm, which actually uh, was brought to us by uh, Richard Freeman, who was a very well-known British cryptozoologist and actually has a degree in cryptozoology and has worked in zoos in a scientific and official capacity, Hmm. and uh, which I think qualifies him very well to do do cryptozoology, which is the study of uh, uncategorized or unrecognized creatures. Wait, his degrees in cryptozoology? In zoology. Oh, in zoology. Oh, I'm not aware of anyone who offers a. De- I'm not aware of any accredited institution that offers a degree in cryptozoology. I was going to say, I could like, be I wrong. Did, I was like, do they offer those? I well, I don't know. You never know what they offer out there. That That's so, true. That some question true. the validity of uh, modern education in some some areas. Uh, 
Anyway, uh, he, he was on the show, Richard Freeman, uh, some several years ago, and we asked him what was the weirdest creature he had ever encountered. And he travels all over the world, uh, including the Gobi Desert and uh, places that uh, you and I have never been. Uh, and the, the, he said that the weirdest has to be the Mongolian death worm. I mean, it sounds like some kind of something out of Batman or something, or like a like a 1950s pulp comic. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, uh, he says, by the time, th- this is a quote, by the time these stories from the Gobi Desert nomads reach the West, they've grown into a creature worthy of doing battle with Doctor Who. Richard is a big Doctor Who fan. Hmm. Uh, it's two to five feet long, red, and can spit a corrosive acid, at least according to the stories. They can generate blasts of electricity that can kill a full-grown camel or human. Now, for those of you who are uh, geographically challenged, Mongolia is just north of China. It's between China and Russia, and uh, it's kind of, well, kind of uh, in the outback, I would think, in many ways. But Richard uh, has traveled over a 1,000 miles through the Gobi Desert, uh, which is a half-million-square-mile wilderness shared by China and Mongolia. It's arid, it's, but it's not your usual kind of desert. Uh, it, it's, very, it's got a lot of rocks, and uh, it's not like, like, like if you go to... The Sahara or the Mojave, you know, you get sand, but, but there's, there's, this is more like a lot of hard pack and things of that kind. Uh, but this is a different animal altogether, Richard had told us. Supposedly, the, the electricity, or as the nomads call it, throwing lightning, uh, is complete folklore in Richard's idea. Uh, and uh, there's a picture in our book of what is an artist's conception of this Mongolian death worm. Uh, and... Um, it's pretty weird looking. It looks um, almost like one of those, if anyone has seen the movie Dune, almost like one of those sandworms. It does. Which were a lot bigger than five feet. Uh, so anyway, people are absolutely terrified of it. They believe it's highly venomous and can spit. And Richard actually talked with natives there, the nomads of the Gobi Desert, who are, they really are nomads. They keep moving all the time. Uh, as, and their lifestyle really hasn't changed in thousands of years. And they really believed in this thing, and they were really afraid of it. As a matter of fact, one man told Richard that when he was a boy, uh, there were rumors of a Mongolian death worm in the vicinity of where they were living at the time. And their father really freaked, and he packed up the whole family, all the uh, livestock and everything, and off they went because they were so afraid of this Mongolian death worm. Uh, Richard talked to other people who believe they've seen it. Now, Richard's idea, Richard is a very feet-on-the-ground investigator. Uh, that, that's the kind we like. And he believes that if, if it does exist, it is probably some sort of unca- uncategorized uh, or undiscovered sand boa, which is really nothing more than, than a snake, which is very fat, and uh, but it probably is very unlikely that it spits corrosive acid at you, although there are, there are reptilian precedents for that. And also dinosaurian presidents, uh, presidents, pre- precedents. Dinosaur precedents. Yes, uh, <laughs> maybe. Well, I don't know. No comment on that. But we, we could have uh, serious problems with uh, animals. Uh, what was it? the Dilophosaurus could supposedly uh, spit venom. Ah, uh, yes. And certain cobras do that. So I suppose that's possible. But as far as an electrical charge that, that, that can hit you from 10 feet away and kill you, for, which is one of the characteristics, supposedly, of this Mongolian death worm, then uh, Fre- Richard Freeman rather doubts that. Although I did bring up to him the notion of the uh, electric eel. Mm. Now, remember, we, when you you and your brother were wee lads, uh, we used to go to the uh, uh, New England Aquarium in Boston, and they had oh, an electric yes. eel. And we never saw it. Uh, 
turn any lights on or anything, but these are real creatures from the Amazon basin in South America, which actually will, will send out an electrical charge to stun their prey, and they don't have to do a lot of work to, to eat them. They're, they're stunned, and they just eat them. So that there are precedents, so who knows? But Richard doesn't believe it. Uh, one of the other things Richard told us about uh, that people probably never heard of was the Orang Pendek. Ah, uh, yes, the the incredibly tall uh, ape that was, or well, ape-like humanoid. Yeah, well, actually, uh, okay, well, here we are. I, I, our our guest has made his entrance and is coming in, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we've already given you a glowing bio, Andrew. Thank you for it. You look as though uh, you'd, the Valkyries had been after you all. Uh, no, I look as though there was a cop directing traffic in Lowell on 495. It's like, are you On 495 in Lowell? It's a Sunday. <laughs> oh, my ears and whiskers. Well, <laughs> Lowell, Lowell is uh, a nice town, but it's uh, the traffic is risky at any point. Well, so, you know, I, no. I, my GPS says it's going to take an hour and 50 minutes. My uh, Google said an hour and 40 you said show up 15 minutes early, so it's yeah. like okay, I picked the balance. Okay, you know 1:45. Well, we have let, we have about 45 minutes uh, to go in the interview, so why don't we get started? No ben, doubt. Indeed. Take it away from question one. So first of all, welcome to be. You're following, the by the way, the Orang Pendek. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're following the Orang Pendek because we brought in oh. Plan B. So. <laughs> all right. So you're, we're we're going up in the world here. So first of all, what is psychophysics? Psychophysics is the study of how external stimuli, you know, light waves, sound waves. Uh, create perceptions in the human mind. So it's the physics part is the actual uh, environmental stimuli, uh, how the brain in, in, uh, transduces it to neural signals and how it turns those neural signals into perception. Hmm. Okay. Pretty, so, uh, 25 words or less. <laughs> the short version is that it's sensation and perception. So, and if they named my class psychophysics, no one would take it, but yep. sensation and perception, everybody thinks it's warm and fuzzy. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it is, I, in fact, hard science. It depends on what you're perceiving, whether it's warm or <laughs> That's you know. very true. I am familiar with psychoacoustics, so this, this is a very fascinating subject to me. Well, this is what I was hoping you two would uh, talk amongst yourselves uh, here on the show for... Uh, in front of a couple you, of microphones. Because you probably <laughs> know things that I don't know anything about. And so. oddly, I'm very interested in psychoacoustics because once I have my PhD, I am going to be looking deeply into EVP, which, there it is. Well, you just opened up the next question. All so right. where do uh, electronic voice phenomena fit into the whole realm of your studies? Okay, uh, it's kind of what started me on the project. Uh, uh, my father died back in 2007. Weird things happened. I decided, okay, let's see what's real, what's not. Uh, I started a meetup group to talk to people, uh, the ghost hunters team had just started right shortly before then. So everybody said, hey, let's go on a ghost hunt. And the EVP thing came up. So we brought audio recorders in our first investigation. We came up with some interesting audios. So all of a sudden, it's like, okay, this shouldn't happen. There's two people in the room, but four voices. And uh, thank you. And, you know, you, you can do, like, impromptu experiments and stuff to test it further, but... There's better methods. There's always better methods. And I went back to school to get a Ph.D. based on that. Uh, I had a, got waitlisted for two years, so I got a bachelor's degree in psychology while I was waiting. I already had a bachelor's degree in journalism. Uh, and it's a master's to Ph.D. program, and I teach at the same time. Wow. Never, quite a full plate there. It was a seven-year plan, and I am on year six of it. I'm just wrapping it up. Nice. Well, Congratulations for that. In, in, <laughs> Congratulate in, in, in me in advance. Six months, We're proud of months. you, Andy. Thank yes. You. 
So, uh, first thing I, I really wanted to say myself was um, I was introduced to psychoacoustics, and interestingly, it gave me, I never really thought I, I would ever use it beyond, you know, being interested by it. Um, when I was in my second semester, in, when I went to Emerson College, I took a class called Critical Listening. And critical listening was essentially, you know, it was it was basically, you know, the basics of, of audio physics and stuff and, like, how to, how to listen to mixes and music and all that and, you know, soundtracks and stuff sure. to be able to, you know, pick up certain things and train your ears. And there was a, an audio engineer, cannot remember the name off the top of my head, but he created this, this set that was like, oh, audio engineers don't know how to listen to the things. So he created this CD set called Golden Ears, and it was essentially a bunch of listening exercises to, like, be able to pick out certain frequencies and stuff and be like, oh, that's... A440, we should definitely bump this up in, in the equalizer to 440 or whatever so that we can get this kind of sound or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it was really, it was, it was, that was what it was more for, but I, I ended up asking a lot of questions about psychoacoustics because we did a listening exercise because we did listening exercises for like the first 30 minutes of class. So the, our, our professor would put on some pink noise, which is every harmonic you can hear and would put a singular sine wave or a beep, essentially, mm-hmm. and you would have to count the beeps. So, you know, he would he'd be like, all right, how many people heard six beeps? How many people heard seven beeps? He's like, anyone hear anything different? And I was like, oh, I heard eight. And he was like, oh, well, he was like, that's interesting because that brings us into a whole new realm. He was like, your brain thought that there needed to be something added to the pattern. So you thought you heard eight beeps, but your brain heard the pattern and said, you know, there needs to be another beep in there mm-hmm. and just inserted another beep. So you didn't actually hear it, but it, your brain put it there, which was really interesting because that led me to understanding the patterns that our brain uses right. to be able to understand the things that we hear. I don't know much about visual stuff because all, all I know is theory about that. But There's a lot of parallel, and interestingly, um, all you actually see in fine detail is an area of about... Uh, five degrees of visual angle. If you hold your two thumbs out in front of you at arm's length, the area of the two thumbs is all you see in detail. All the other detail you think you're seeing comes out of memory or perception, construction, cognitive construction. So even even the the, uh, the thought of, of depth perception, that's all... That's a lot more complicated, and that is specifically what my, my dissertation's on, is depth perception. Oh, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> so there's multiple channels of depth perception, or at least that's what I'm trying to demonstrate. So my, 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 my first question to you is, is this. How much of, this is, sounds simple and short, but usually is long, longer in answers. How often do you find that electronic voice phenomena is more a case of people hearing what they want to hear versus what's actually there? The ability to separate out voices and show that it is not environmental or misconstrued present voices. Uh, Yes, people give me EVP all the time, and there are situations where, no, that's what you know, somebody would say in your group, but we have demonstrable EVP where the voice, the extra voice, sounded identical to a voice of a person in the room. And what would happen is, I, if there were two of us there, I would speak, she would respond, and then we'd get an extra voice basically paraphrasing what she just said. Hmm. And the first time, you know, it came up, it's like, wow, that's weird. I don't remember her doing that. The second time, it's like, no, that's really weird because I know she didn't do it twice. The third time, the two voices, the two female voices overlapped, which is physically impossible. And that's the only reason we call it all three of them in EVP is because the human voice can't enunciate two different words at the same time. 
That is, a, that is actually a really good point. There's actually a really interesting experiment that MIT has been doing for a while now, which was trying to separate the human voice mm-hmm. from, you know, trying to trying to essentially take out the human voice from, like, you know, movie tracks, audio tracks, stuff like that. Sure. And there's not enough processing power in the world so far that we have that that's able able to do this. This is as of two years ago, so my knowledge is a little a little rusty, but they've been attempting to do it with little to no success because the human voice is so complicated. Yes. Because we have so we we have vocal cords which essentially are many many different fre- frequencies and vibrations that are going sure. at once disturbing air molecules. So my question that I've I've always been, been confused by this when it comes to EVPs they're never picked up by the human ear, usually. Um, Which is an interesting point also that I'd like to talk more on. <laughs> oh, sure. Go for it. So first, uh, there are cases. We f- we have cases where uh, five people in a room, four heard nothing, one person heard it. And it was a child's voice, or appeared to be a child's voice. And she distinctly heard it. It freaked her out enough where she left the room. But the fact is, none of us heard it. It did show up on recording. Uh, we have had voices that we've heard that didn't show up on recording. Uh, the problem with EVP is that you know people can identify it because you have these uh, electronically based recordings. But before electronics, uh, mediums would use like hearing horns, hearing aids, uh, non-mechanically assisted. They're basically just big funnels to amplify environmental voices. Hmm. So calling it electronic voice phenomena may be a misnomer. So, and there are things you can do to test that. I mean, you can, there are non-electrical means of recording voices, you know, old Edison machines and stuff, and to record something both on the mechanical and the electronic and seeing if it shows up on both. uh, The phenomena hasn't been characterized fully, and that's the problem. So have, hmm, I'm trying to think of how to put this. So have you theorized any sort of mechanism by which the air molecules are disturbed by which we hear sound? There is... Let's find out. (laughs) (laughs) Let's find out if that is, in fact, what's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it's affecting electronics but not the mechanical, then you're having an effect that is affecting the electronics in a very complex manner, in an intent-based manner, because to come up with language accidentally is very, very unlikely. It is actually. I, I I never even thought about the electronics portion of it. I was just thinking the human ear. So, Dad, you've had experience back in the day with old reel-to-reel recorders and such. With yes, Ben, uh, I was uh, working with Thomas Edison personally. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> well, what I'm what I'm saying is back back in back in the day. Back in the day, yes. That um, you did some experiments with EVPs, yes. Uh, well, effectively, yeah, we didn't call them that at the time. Well, what did you refer to yeah. them as? Uh, weird stuff on the tape. So why why would you bother attempting to tape things? Well, we did well. Okay, let me give you the, my first experience with this, and it was sort of I suppose what would be considered today reverse EVP. I don't know if you've ever heard about this, Andy, but we were at the what we call the Village of Voices case in Connecticut. It was 1970 through 1972. A couple of trips there, and we had it wasn't quite as ancient as real to real. It was cassette. Mm-hmm. tapes okay and uh with a an ordinary recorded n- nothing special about it and there was a one occasion on the first evening we were there uh and this was august of 1971 we were the sun was setting it was a lovely forest scene but it was a weird place because all day we'd been hearing people talking mm-hmm. uh farm implements banging together as if it was a normal day for somebody else right, right. and uh, we heard the laughter of children 
mm-hmm. all of a sudden down by Nightingale Brook. And again, this is all woodsy. The, nothing was there now. It was all overgrown. There had been a settlement uh, farm. And the, uh, the sound was moving very oddly. It was moving very rapidly up and down this brook as if there was a car driving at 60 miles an hour, but there was no road. There was no way it could have been, been that. And, well, there were other things about these children that were really strange, but it was, the sound was really odd. So we turned down this, this tape recorder. And we all heard it. There were six of us, but I should say five of us, but it wouldn't record. Now, mm-hmm. that may very well have been because of the uh, insensitivity of the medium at the time uh, which, or the device. So that, that essentially was my first one. On another occasion, uh, I think this was probably, certainly my first EVP. It was about a year later, uh-huh. and I was by myself working in an old house where people said, well, you know, weird stuff's going on. So I, I just, on a hunch, turned on, pushed the record button on this same recorder, right. which was uh, not quite a pocket one. It wasn't a Walkman or anything. Right. Uh, maybe um, a... F- the little square box. Yeah, the little, little box. That were in the day. Yeah. And uh, I left. Mm-hmm. Nobody was in the house. And I came back an hour later, and uh, the tape had run out, and uh, I played it back, and you could hear a, a dinner going on in the next room you could uh-huh. hear uh the silverware you could hear people talking you could hear you could hear people belching burping uh-huh. which was not considered gauche in the 18th century or the 19th century and this uh, this house was about going on 300 years old uh-huh. you know so built in the 1600s so i didn't know what to do with that i didn't know any sound experts at the time i did talk to some people who were in radio and tv and i said have you ever encountered something like this. Well, yeah, this is once in a while there's some kind of anomaly, as they call it. But ordinarily, um, the, there are people, in ra- and, and Ben's been far more involved in radio than I have, uh-huh. uh, and maybe he could, uh, if he's ever encountered anybody who's come up with something weird like that, but I don't know any myself. But those, those are my two major experiences with that. There were other things. I don't use it a lot. Uh, ben and I don't use it a lot. Uh, we rely more on photography. I <clears throat> just um, sort of... Uh, Chalk a lot of it up to pareidolia. That I wouldn't mind talking about Please. either. Uh, the problem with pareidolia, it's the idea that uh, vague stimulus can create very vivid perceptions. And the problem is everything you perceive goes through that process. I mean, if I put a milk jug outside a screen door, only half the signal's there, and yet you still see a milk jug. Mm-hmm. And actually, we are for us to interpret language out of nonsense is extremely rare. We're very good at pattern identification. So when you hear voices, it usually means there's a voice there. Really? Okay. So there are certain circumstances when you have repetitive noises, like you're in a basement and you're, there's a fan going or something, and there, there's repetitive background a pattern to the background noise you can extract patterns out of that but that usually comes across as music or a repeating phrase the phrase will repeat and you won't really know what it says but that's about the limit of what your brain can make up it can make up gaps in what you speak it can make up all kinds of crazy stuff but to hear a voice especially one that goes more than a second or so and interpret it you know i mean it's a voice and that's the, these are things that can be tested. Well, I remember speaking of this Village of Voices case, and it's called the Village of Voices simply because since the 19... Yes, and I, I don't wouldn't know, mind went. getting the address of that place when you're... And when well, good here. luck, because uh, you can probably get arrested. 
because <clears throat> thanks to me writing about it, and it became well known, and I mean, it was known locally before that. Well, whenever we investigate any place, we ask permission of the the property owner and inform the police because we don't need people. Stopping Very good by idea. And, yes, right. but in any case, uh, people have been there subsequently and have had the same experience that we had with many of the things we experienced, such mm-hmm. as the uh, phantom ox cart driver. Right. Uh, this was in the fall of 1971, and six of us were standing there, and a we even got out of the way because it sounded so like it was coming right for us. Right. Uh, uh, what seems like an ox cart, or sounded like one anyway, or horse, large horse cart, uh, with a, a driver yelling, hya, and the crack of a whip. Uh-huh. Uh, coming right down an old cart path that had been the main drag of this farm. And uh, we actually stood aside. It was a Sunday. Maybe somebody drives teams, you know, for a hobby. People do that. And it came right by us, about maybe 15, 20 feet away, but we couldn't see it. Right. And it was on a road that no longer existed. Right. So if I were to go back there, other people have heard this. Uh, I've gotten in there and changed what were commonly thought of as uh, residual phenomena, something I was an early advocate of, but I don't uh-huh. believe in anymore, uh, by interacting with it, which is not necessarily a good idea. But um, th- I think that I knew who this man was. Uh-huh. But I was a man, not a spirit. It uh-huh. was a, you know, going about his daily. And this, this was the genesis of, of our goofy ideas about parallel physical worlds rather than spirit worlds, right. which I don't think does the trick. You've heard us... Talk yes, yes, hundred times at the KRI Center, but so uh, people did go in there and hear that, and they also did recorded DVPs in the cemetery, of course. Mm-hmm. And it, I heard some of them, and uh, their one and two word answers. They sounded like modern voices. They didn't sound like somebody from the nineteenth uh, century, right? Because there are differences, and. Uh, because I later found out that Ben and I are cousins of the people who live there, the Randall family. And, uh, oh, we're already on uh, coming up to our break. Well, we'll continue with the Randalls and the stuff uh, in a minute. Uh-huh. But anyway, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, broadcasting for the 70th year here from northern Rhode Island. Our wonderful guest, Andy Kitt, will be right back. Stick with us. The Extra Point. Afternoons on ON 1240 Radio, bringing you local interviews, stories, and opinions on the local athletes with none other than radio great Lou Mandeville. Yes, that's me. Afternoons Monday through Friday on ON 1240. Now, welcome back to the show, and certainly we cannot let the show pass without mentioning uh, the terrible uh, Hurricane Irma that is going on. Now, last week we were talking about Hurricane Harvey. And uh, just uh, we have a lot of listeners in Florida and, and Texas, and our, our hearts and prayers go out to them today. Uh, be safe, and, and uh, hopefully you've gotten to somewhere that, that is safe or high ground, etc. Uh, we do have on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, a, uh, qu- a quick link to uh, donate to the American Red Cross. Uh, I believe we have raised several thousand dollars so far, so I have heard through that, and that is, uh, that's a great thing. Please continue to donate. It is a great charity, and they're always right there 
um, when people need it. Uh, even even around uh, IRA, if there's a fire, it's the American Red Cross that very often is there right after the first responders. So please please donate if you can. Also, there are a number of charities, uh, both American and Canadian. We have um, cited on our website behindtheparanormal.com. Please check those out. We'll mention those toward the end of the show. Right now, let's get back to our discussion with Andrew Kitt. Uh, Andrew, uh, before we begin uh, that, I also wanted to say we've had uh, a bit of uh, dishevelment in our policy about callers. Okay. I, I want to reassure, reassure everyone, we are taking calls today, uh, the number 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada or from anywhere in uh, our listening area, 401-766-1240, or if you're in Mongolia, I want to talk about the death worm, you can call uh, that, that as well. <clears throat> so um, we do encourage callers today. Also, emails, paul at behindtheparanormal.com. So let's continue. Uh, ben, yes. uh, you, you're on a roll here with with Andrew. Uh, I had an apostrophe. You had an apostrophe. Okay. <laughs> I think you mean an epiphany. <laughs> I, lo- I like malapropism, malapropisms because I think they're funny. <laughs> yes, um, But anyway, th- that's the story of the uh, Village of Voices, uh, some of it anyway, from my perspective. And people. So the question, I suppose, arises for me, why is it that... Um, you get two or three word answers from this. And a uh, second question, there is some evidence, I suppose, in a, in a roundabout way, that people who go into cases and, and hunt ghosts and all this uh, and say, oh, the temperature is changing, are actually affecting the thermometer themselves that is somehow. A, that is possible sometimes. Yeah, possible, exactly. So do you think that somehow that uh, people are projecting the so-called investigators are projecting onto the the uh, recording medium, and that which is why you get EVPs from Gettysburg, and they sound like they're from you know Boston, and you know and they're supposed to be Confederate soldiers from the, the 1800s. I mean, I just a lot of it just doesn't add up. What say you? I say that people have done lab work on EVP and come up with positive results. What they haven't done is environmental work and actually categorize the phenomenon. So is it one phenomenon or more than one? Uh, people talk about uh, uh, residual versus uh, interactive ghosts, and is that really a thing? And the EVP can help help us delineate uh, the range of the phenomena. I mean, residual might just be a ghost that thinks it's still living in its time frame and ignores you. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just reenacting an event and carrying with it this baggage. But we have no idea. Well, I remember I was on the air with Jason Hawes of Ghost Hunter fame, uh-huh. and they, they're from Rhode Island too, but we've never met. We really don't know each other. But on the air, uh, I was very impressed with his, uh, his articulate approach, and his very, he's a very good interviewer. Uh, however, uh, we agree on one thing. Uh, it's Sunday. Uh-huh. And that's about it. Um, there might be questions about that. So he, but he he said, you know, in a rare moment of uh, self-revelation uh, during the show, I think he said, you know, this whole multiverse idea is interesting because we were in this hotel, and this was on one of their shows, and uh, we were doing EVPs with this person, this person who supposedly had died in the hotel, uh-huh. uh, someone of uh, royal or noble blood or something, right? And they were saying, uh, they were, she was saying, well, where are you? Said, are you from the security staff or something, something like that? Because she couldn't see them, right? And of course, they couldn't see her, and that to us is a textbook example of talking of, of a communication across the brain, B R A N E, in the right. quantum right. physics sense, mo- uh, membrane, as the physicists would call who, those who believe in this. So uh, he almost admitted that the EVP could be simply a recording from the other side of the brain. 
right. veil, whatever term you want to use, from another perfectly physical world. Uh, that is possible, but again, the first thing is observe the phenomena in the possible range. Categorize everything. Define it, delineate it, mm-hmm. categorize it, drop stuff into boxes, see what the relationships are. Mm-hmm. And before anything else happens, and I don't think that's done, people just keep noticing odd stuff. And, you know, they put it in a gray box in a corner. And it's like, no, you have to incorporate that. If you want to know more, you have to incorporate that information into the, the bigger picture. And you have to nail it down into specific categories or types that are, are separable that you can, you know, definitively say these are separate phenomena or there, there is overlap and investigate each individual area to get a better picture. We have a really bad picture because really freaky things can happen. I hear you. Uh, and one of the reasons, one of the things we like about you is that you are steeped in science. You understand the uh, importance of uh, disciplined thinking and peer review. And statistics. And statistics. <laughs> and data. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas in, you know, we can argue on validity, what are the standards of proof, what are the standards for validity for data? I mean, we're just looking at a very narrow paradigm that this stuff doesn't even fit. That's another issue. Right. But I think it's important to at least begin with that. Right. uh, Because you go haywire if you don't have that. Right. And a lot of the so-called ghost hunters and, and of course when I started out you know a hundred years ago there was that, that just what nobody did that except Ed Lorraine Warren me Hans Holzer a few other people right you know, but there was personally I think you all were really limited in your methods so it's oh, like, well, there's there. better ways to do this absolutely and, you know? absolutely and you know you learn as you go right because you, know? right. you can still do things wrong for 47 years I mean it's a lot well of, uh, it's not wrong as long as you identify what the limitations are uh, precisely yes you know yes. I mean if you recognize I said, I have one recorder going, so there's no way of knowing what mm-hmm. I did and did not pick up. And, I mean, that was the first thing I noticed. First investigation I do, everybody's wandering around. There's like two or three recorders going around. But, you know, the, we were investigating the place with a couple of groups, and it wasn't until everybody cleared out that I had something interesting. I mean, we were the last two people there. We're packing up, and we got extra voices. Okay, that makes sense. There's, there's nothing there to make these sounds. But other people were, you know, uh, one example is uh, one person's down at the bottom of the stairs doing, you know, one of the classic EVP sessions. Ask a question, wait a minute, ask another question. And in the middle of that, you hear a voice come in and say, we're upstairs. And then you hear a door close. It's like, um... Isn't maybe that's the rest of your team just telling you where they are? Mm-hmm. But she was absolutely insistent that's an EVP. Well, maybe, but you got to be able to separate it. And the first thing we did after uh, once we started investigating our own is everybody wears a recorder, so we can at least use amplitude assessments to determine oh, range yeah. on voices. Yeah. And we've come up with stuff where you know we got really good reason to believe the voice came from the center of the room or an area where there was no person. Mm-hmm. We run enough video recorders where we can identify there was not a person at the time, and of course we synchronize all this stuff so I can go back and tell you exactly where everybody is. And you can do these things, and you know, but there's a lot of time in that. An eight-hour investigation takes a hundred hours to analyze. Oh yeah, no, tell us about. It. I mean, we, we uh, as you know, we spent years on cases. You know, I'm thinking. Uh, Gee, a certain someone here who's in the studio today might be kind of useful on uh, one or two of these uh, flap cases, especially Pennsylvania. Who? You know, I should say oh. uh, Connecticut, rather, with lots and lots of EVs. Oh, oh, yes. yes. I see, I see what you're trying to do. And I would love to have you forward me information anytime okay. something like this occurs. Well, I think we, we got something going here. But, uh, again, yeah. I'm really stuck in this dissertation thing. I mean, I, would, oh, I, I don't have that. spare yeah. time. My oh, I know. spare I, yeah. time is write another 20 pages. You know? Oh, I know. Well, well yeah, I'm still a working journalist. I'm right. always on deadline. But we'll, we'll, we'll get it done. I mean, this, yes. these cases aren't going anywhere. 
So that's good. Uh, ben, I'm, I don't want to monopolize the conversation here because you know what you're talking about. I vaguely know what I'm talking about. Well, more than I do. <laughs> I mean, really, at the end of the day, do we really know what we're talking about? Well, probably not. But, uh, so but I, do, I, do have, I do have a theory that I came up with rel- relatively. Because, Andy, you brought up a very interesting point that maybe it's the devices that are getting, that, are, that, are, that the phenomenon is actually happening to. Correct. It's a possibility. Makes sense. Because electromagnetic fields, we all know. We all know that that's that's kind of a big deal, right? For one reason or another. And one of the byproducts of electromagnetism is electrified air molecules, also known as plasma. Plasma vibrates so fast that it can only be picked up by certain devices. Okay. So probably not by the human ear because the human ear is only limited to between 20 hertz and 20 kilohertz. So anything that's moving beyond that is incredibly hard for us to pick up. Even at this age, only babies have like perfect hearing because right. over time hearing yeah, it's cells. It's more die like 20 to that. 12 for anybody over 30. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So I mean, I know I'm I'm already destroyed in that department thanks to listening to loud music. But you know, the the interesting thing that I thought of as well, maybe it's. Maybe we are hearing hearing something, but we just can't perceive it. Perhaps it's just vib- vibrating so fast because plasma. And maybe if it's coming, if if you subscribe to the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum physics, perhaps if voices are indeed moving through the membranes, they're just moving so fast that we can't hear it. Or if you do hear it, it's only moving in whispers because that would be the tail end of what they're saying. Right. Because as the human voice enunciates. There's all sorts of frequencies in there and harmonics that essentially go down and down and down and down and down right. until you can eventually hear it. Perhaps that is why it's only picked up by recorders and not by the human ear. Great speculation, but that's an empirical question. I there know. is a clip <laughs> that can make that determination. There's no way to make that determination. The only way that you you would you'd have to have an incredibly high budget and lots and lots okay. of equipment. Okay. <laughs> yes, speaking we have, have the right equipment, but we can't. That is something that can be done. That is true. Well, we have a question from Mark in St. Cloud, Minnesota. And Mark, has, Mark says, uh, oftentimes on the show, you and Ben mention uh, the absence of vocal cords and, with, with ghosts and this being making it difficult to record any sort of EVP. Uh, are there any, is there any other way, in Andy's opinion, to, well, we'll say, to record EVPs without vocal cords at the other end? Um, the vocal cord, like a vocal cord, is something skeptics bring up. You know, how can it make sound if it doesn't have a vocal cord? And that's where sensation and perception comes in. Uh, is really kind of an uh, important perspective. Is uh, f- when you hear it in the system, when you're in the system and you hear it, the situation. Uh, what are you hearing? And hearing is a perception. It. The question is, does it co- always come from the ears? And idea transmission. There's uh, uh, a case, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's wife was a medium, and they were very close friends with Harry Houdini. Mm. And uh, so uh, Doyle's wife is doing a reading for him and started giving him information, uh, including his childhood nickname that his mother would use. And it was really an impressive reading. And uh, Houdini sits there and says, but that's impossible because she didn't understand English. But if she's transmitting, if she's collecting ideas and not actual sounds, it sort of changes what her perception is. And this is something that can be analyzed also. The mediumship thing is a huge deal for me because that's been backed up reliably between Wind Ridge Institute, uh, University of Arizona. Some people are doing it. It's a very small percentage of people who claim to be mediums actually coming up with good information, Hmm. but there is a percentage of people who are doing it. So that 
You know, there are a lot of different angles here, and nobody is investigating uh, from from a way that you can extract real data. So that, that's a slippery slope, uh, I would think, because uh, and I don't want to get off our topic of sound here, uh, right. but we've always found that if they're dealing with Whatever they're dealing with, however they're doing what they're doing, they seem to be married to this 19th century spiritualist interpretation of what it is. Yes, very Which true. I think severely limits uh, what they can do and how they can do it and this sort of thing. I mean, I, to, in, our, in our lingo, what mediums are doing, who are legitimate ones, uh-huh. uh, is simply being in touch with, in many cases, uh, where they are living parallel lives in worlds that may be different or maybe not so different, and where these people are not dead and all. Right. That, that would be our interpretation. That maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. Uh, other times, uh, there are ones who simply exploit. Uh, as Houdini, the exploiters are uh, definitely out. Yes, uh, as Houdini was uh, was on a crusade yep. uh, to expose people of that. Kind. The SPR also. Uh, right, right. When yep, they initially yep. dove in, it's like, yeah, some people are but we're, getting, we're weeding yeah. out the the deadwood. Yeah. So uh, that was the first uh, founded in the 19th century. That was the first. Uh, yeah, 1880ish. Yeah, that was the first organization that uh, really. Try to take this field seriously. Yep, that you know. and uh, the dialectic something society in England yeah, both yeah. went back and forth. One went more yeah. ghosts, the other went more spiritual. Dear old Hegel. Well, anyway, uh, there there are uh, issues too of. Uh, well, I, I'll give the example of a guest we had who has long since been discredited. Unfortunately, he claimed to go to Stanford, but he didn't. Apparently, I don't know why people do that. I mean, you can, you can look up anything about There's it. There's a lot of people who claim PhDs that don't. Yeah, have yeah, but we were talking about that last so. weekend. Uh, but uh, he did uh, do some work on EVPs from uh, a an electronic point of view. Uh-huh. And Ben, maybe you remember this. Uh, he was mentioning. Oh that, yeah, uh, he said that they were they were uh, AM frequencies. Yes, he was picking up AM frequencies. So the last question of the last show we ever did with him, and we ran out of time before he could answer it, was: Does that mean whoever's on the other side has? An AM transmitter? <laughs> I mean, what? I think he was trying to, to postulate that, you know, AM signal, as as our, our station manager and owner has, has wisely pointed out many times, is, is the most efficient, Is it is in the most efficient way to carry carry information, well, radio signals. It is it is the most efficient way to carry a broadcast because AM, AM radio or, well, AM frequencies can go incredibly far because they bounce off the ionosphere. So as a result, you can you can pretty much pick up an AM frequency incredibly far away. I know that we've had people in Iceland who have picked this up. Uh-huh. Actually, there was Lapland. Lapland. I'm yes. Sorry. Okay. They, were in, they they <laughs> and I guess there's some sort of a thing that that people can uh, write to a station and, and it's like a, a, a global organization or information. They, yeah, they, they all just they here, I picked, we picked up your station. Uh huh. Here and uh, they let you know about it. So that was, that was really cool. So we, uh, we yeah, I mean, there's all there's all sorts of Lapland among the reindeer there. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, uh, that's I think he was trying to go for. Oh well, maybe it's just frequencies hanging around. Yeah, the atmosphere that may be from the dead. But how do you feel about that, Andy? Okay, there are reports of radio frequencies, uh, and I mean, this shouldn't happen because they travel at the speed of light. They should disappear, gone. You know, they shouldn't be echoing around for 50 years, and yet. People have reported hearing radio broadcasts, dated radio broadcasts from, you know, a generation prior. And uh, how good is that? I don't know. That's a little bit outside of what I intend to do. But you know, let's see what comes out of what I'm looking at. And uh, like I say, you start looking at the range of phenomena and test things. You find out. Uh, the AM thing, though, uh, particularly if you run into uh, responsive e- EVP, 
it's really hard to sit there and claim it's AM. And there's a lot of other things. Uh, recording equipment has built-in filters to take out interference like that. So, yeah. you know, nowadays a recorder is not picking up AM. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all pretty much balanced cables, so you're not going to have any sort of bleed through of anything right. else. If anyone's ever played a musical instrument... And they they have their guitar and they start hearing like their local like radio station through <laughs> right. through their amp. It's a, it's an unbalanced cable. So so well. So this is the fastest hour in history here. I wanted to give you a chance to uh, talk about. Now I understand you've written a book, but I don't know what it is. If could you talk uh, about that? Honestly, or? I wrote it before, I, right before I decided to you know dive in and get the degree. So it's sort of a naive view of what happens when somebody who you know really doesn't care about ghosts runs into something that is really tough to explain. And I just go over what my perspectives were at the time, and I thought it would be really interesting to write that, and especially after I began the program, okay, let's see how my opinions change when I have the degree. Did that happen to you? Yes. Oh, okay. And so I love it when <laughs> things happen to people who have a brain and their, their, their world has changed. You know, we'll have to talk about that sometime, perhaps on another show. Sure. But where can, what is it called and where can people get it? Uh, Ghost Science is the number 42 and it's old enough to where it might be out of print. It was oh. available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. You know, usually special. I looked for it. I couldn't print find run. Um, but it might be out of print because, you know, okay. you just can't carry something like that forever. There's uh, uh, fees even for, for print-on-demand. So uh, yeah. I know I have maybe 20 or 30 copies left in my office, so I guess... If people want to contact how can people sure. contact you? And tell uh, us about the KRI Center as well. Okay, the KRI Center, essentially that's sort of an outgrowth of the original meetup group where, you know, once we found a... a core of individuals who are interested in actually working and not just, you know, doing a Disneyland ghost hunt thing. Mm -hmm. uh, we sort of developed a place that uh, we turned into an outreach center for pretty much any fringe topic you want to name. Mm -hmm. um, right now, it's kind of leaning heavily into the paranormal uh, ufology stuff, but, you know, sometimes uh, we get a really strong showing for spiritualism, uh, wellness, uh, we do Reiki classes there periodically, things like that. I have to say, it is a wonderful place. It, it, the atmosphere is beautiful. We did a live broadcast from there of this show last April. Yes, we did. And uh, it, we did. We we've spoken there many times. We just love to go. It's there. great having you. It's wonderful. So uh, what about a website people can look at? Uh, right now, the best way to get information is to actually go to meetup.com. And it's uh, the Center NH. It's meetup.com slash the Center NH. But if you put in consciousness studies, but that's if you're local to the area because meetup will search within X number of miles for a meetup, an appropriate meetup. So if you're out of the area, uh, meetup.com uh, backslash the center and H, all one word, and that'll give you our calendar. Uh, I believe contact information is there. Certainly our email addresses. Mm -hmm. So kripara.com is also out there, but I have not updated that in probably six years. Okay, so well, it, just it, way too much other stuff to do. I right? hear There's it. better hear methods of keeping yeah. it up than what was available to me six Excellent. years ago. It's pretty solid. I think we have time maybe for one more question, Ben. Uh, if you don't have one, I do. Uh, well, I'll go for it. Yours is okay. better form than mine. Uh, <laughs> in your presentation at the Exeter UFO Festival last weekend, which we couldn't hear because the author's room was separated from the speaker's area, uh, you were skeptical of skepticism. Can you say a word or two about that? <laughs> um, the problem is... Skeptics. Uh, it's great to be skeptical in the truest sense of the word, but right now, uh, objective is actually a better 
word for what skepticism intends. Mm-hmm. Uh, to deny phenomena before giving evidence a fair examination is absurd, and that's what most skeptics do. It's like you haven't crossed a, a threshold of critical analysis or whatever whatever excuse you want, but the evidence is there, and the evidence for ufology is overwhelming. The evidence that something is going on with EVP is pretty impressive. Uh, evidence there, there's physical, there's lab research in mediumship, there's lab research in, in uh, uh, psychokinesis and telecare, you know, all these things. There's research out there, just rejected out of hand for absurd reasons, and the research is often better because it's scrutinized more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know, to just reject that evidence out of hand is absurd, and it you is, know, yeah. skepticism is no longer uh, holding out to you see the evidence because I don't know how to tell you this. A uh, hundred thousand observers of paranormal phenomena uh, can't be rejected as oh they just made mistakes. Uh, people when people perceive what they do is they hear stuff and if it's normal they actually reject it and ignore it. It's the stuff that's exceptional. So to say a UFO is Venus, well, Venus is always up in the sky. So something about the object they saw made them think, wow, it wasn't Venus. So maybe Venus was particularly bright that day, or maybe it wasn't. And the problem really is that, uh, uh, I mean, Venus is a bad example because, you know, if somebody, if it's even possible that you just have a little pinpoint of light, calling it a UFO is really premature. But if you see a metal object, you know, that's, Looks appears to be you know ten degrees of visual angle you know which could be anywhere from ten feet if it's fairly close or a thousand feet if it's fairly far, Um, but to mistake that for a light in the sky is just completely absurd. And there are in fact cases where uh, people have seen at close range very large objects in the sky. At you know airline pilots uh, do this periodically, and Mm -hmm. you know. We have one uh, who flew for a French airline, and uh-huh. he's a reporter for our show. Uh-huh. And uh, we cannot give his name okay. because he's an active pilot. Yeah. And uh, but a lot of things have happened, <laughs> you know, and that people are just afraid to talk about because right. uh, you can't talk about it. Right. You know, um, we've got one or two minutes left. What, in your opinion, is the future of? the relationship between paranormal research and science. Science as in the scientific method, which is essentially based on a materialistic, scientific materialism, a materialistic view of the world, that everything is matter and that's all that matters. And uh, the paranormal, which, which seems to be going beyond, maybe outside of science, at least science as it is now, with the possible exception of quantum mechanics or transpersonal psychology, that sort of thing. What... I mean, and I, we we uh, know a number of scientists. They don't talk to each other. One field doesn't talk to another. Uh, maybe th- there are exceptions to that, of course. Right. But as a rule, and, and th- you know, what what's going on with that? I mean, what what do you think is the future of the relationship between paranormal research and science? Uh, paranormal research is science in some aspects, but just like anything else, there's crackpots out there. Uh, right now, the just crackpots outnumber the actual scientists, mm-hmm. but uh, science does look at this phenomena and they just do it in little pockets. That, I mean, there is some communication going on. Parapsychology, uh, Parapsychological Association does meet once a year. Um, but they are looking and it just doesn't, it, it doesn't, the sound they make doesn't come over the noise coming from the people who are stupid. Well, that too, and I, I knew Louisa Ryan, and, you know, who was, who tried to, bring science to this field. Sure. 
And uh, I didn't know her husband, Joseph, but, uh, but we, she and I corresponded. And she was very much into uh, measuring ESP in children at uh-huh. Duke University, starting in the 1930s. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, they were. Tr- it just seemed to me, as much as I respected them, it seemed to me that she was trying to make square pegs fit round holes. That can happen. Which I think, but again, this is the 1960s, so you know who knows what was going on. But it's on. also in the 60s was after 30 years of establishing that the phenomenon is for real. Yeah, but of course, uh, this is perhaps a topic for another show. What do you mean by real? How do you define real? It's quantifiably demonstrable. We'll accept that. And with that, I think we'd better probably get to our announcements because we have a lot of them. <laughs> Just one more, one more time, Andrew. Give us a website where people can find out more about you. Okay, uh, www.meetup.com backslash T-H-E, Center N-H, the Center N-H. Outstanding. Check it out, folks. It's a great place. Okay, uh, let's uh, go to our announcements. On uh, First of all, thank you very much to the Kiwanis Club of Exeter, New Hampshire, all the, the great stuff, uh, the great speakers, including you, uh, Andrew, and uh, all the folks from uh, Seaco Saucers of New England who are um, among those who uh, are present at the KRI Center. Uh, just We had a wonderful, wonderful time and uh, raised money for children's charities, and uh, we'll let you know how many. It was usually several thousand dollars, so it was just a great event. So on Saturday, September 30th, uh, Ben and I will talk about strange connections, UFOs, cryptids, and ghosts in western Connecticut and beyond at the Brandywine Living Center in Litchfield, Connecticut, heart of the Litchfield Triangle. That will be at 2 p.m. RSVP to Nanette at 860-567-9500. Among the books we'll have for sale and signing at this event will be our newest, uh, Behind the Paranormal, uh, two, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, uh, also available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle, and we'll have copies available for sale at all of our forthcoming events this season. Uh, if you can't get to one of our events and would still like an autographed copy of any of our books, you can get them at the show's online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. And our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most bookstores, and if they don't have it, they can get it. And it's also available at all our forthcoming events on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers. And again, you can get an autographed copy at BehindTheParanormal.com. Now, our next uh, major event here uh, in October will be October 6th and 7th, the first weekend. Uh, it's Columbus Day weekend, I believe. Uh, we'll be back at the Greater New England UFO Conference at City Hall in Lemister, Massachusetts, one of our favorite events of the year. Our subject will be the Fur Flies, Bigfoot, and UFOs. Now, the schedule is still in flux, but if there's time on Saturday, we'll present a talk on something a lot of people have expressed a great deal of interest in, and we'll call in my, my academic background in theology and philosophy, UFOs, the paranormal, and God. Uh, find information about that at newenglandufo.com. That's the site for the event, and also our um, show site, behindtheparanormal.com. And the following week, October 14th, we'll speak at the Western Connecticut UFO Conference at the Danbury, Connecticut Library, along with Linda Zimmerman, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Shane Searway, and other legendary researchers. And uh, this will surprise you, Ben, because you don't know about it yet, but oh, thank mere- you. A mere three days later, on October 17th, we'll be right here in our local listening area presenting an updated program on Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong at the Blackstone Public Library in Blackstone, Massachusetts, practically within 
site of our studio here. And the uh, following Saturday on October 21st, sorry I stepped on you there, uh, I'll oh. be back at the, uh, Dan- uh, we will, or my dad will be back at the uh, Danbury Public Library, uh, this time with William J. Hall for a program about uh, Bill's 2014 book, uh, The World's Most Haunted House, about the uh, famous Bridgeport Poltergeist case, to which he is one of the few surviving witnesses. And on Saturday, October 28th at 1 p.m., we'll speak at the uh, Portsmouth Public Library in New Hampshire. The subject, what's really behind the paranormal in New Hampshire and beyond. And don't forget about our YouTube channel, Behind the Paranormal Case Files. We're going to be putting the uh, last week's live broadcast Megxeter on YouTube. So, Yay. All right. We will do that. You don't know that yet either. Well, Me- now I do. <laughs> well, anyway, meanwhile, find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, where you will find over 720 free recorded shows and podcasts from both ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, you can find my other books from the days of yore uh, at Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook. Uh, they may be in a few stores. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I or we, in the case of our latest books, will sign them for you, and you will help keep all those recorded shows free. Also on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including uh, American Red Cross, uh, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and Youth Mentoring Connection out in Los Angeles doing great stuff. What do we got next week, Ben? So next Sunday, September 17th, we'll present our long-awaited show with uh, Al- Dr. Alan Botkin. The subject, Induced After Death Communication. And uh, the quote is far too long to read, so I guess we probably just better uh, sign off here, Ben. I'm uh, Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.